We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, good morning slash afternoon. (laughs) Good to see all of you. I just wanted to say a quick word of thank you to uh, our volunteers and our band, uh, you know, being here before 7 o'clock and seeing a lot of your faces that have been uh, working this whole time. I really appreciate uh, all that you guys do. Uh, Please allow me to introduce myself for anyone I haven't had the opportunity or the joy of meeting yet. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and hopefully uh, you've already felt this welcome. I know with COVID, it's a little bit weird to... uh, you feel welcomed six feet apart and socially distanced, but uh, uh, we're so glad to have you, and uh, we just welcome you after the service as we're clearing out of here. We do have a Visitors Connect table, uh, just a place where uh, I'll be standing. We'll have other members in Emmaus. We'd we'd love to kind of get to know you and uh, hear about your story and uh, share a little bit more about us with you uh, for anyone who has interest in doing that. Uh, in way of announcements, this is uh, somewhat painful for me to make because I love the way that, uh, Emmaus, you guys are so great at um, enjoying each other's company and uh, fellowshipping with one another. So I don't want to disrupt that at all. I encourage you guys to do that. But if you will, as soon as the service is over, if you would make your way out of this area, we do have uh, some cleaning to do and things to get ready. So please do fellowship, but uh, do so um, out there. So that would be helpful to uh, our team. His um, way of announcements go, that's as far as that happens. I, I did want to say a, a personal word of thank you on behalf uh, of my family. Uh, last month was Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, you, you are all just so kind to us and uh, blessing us with uh, just your words of encouragement and uh, little gestures of reaching out to us. And so uh, um, I, I am truly thankful um, just for the kindness that you extend to myself and my family and, and wanted to say thank you for that. 
Uh, also, from a personal note, uh, being that it was Veterans Day this week and, and knowing we do have many men and women who are in active service or have served, I did want to offer uh, my thanks to you and uh, thank you for your sacrifices and the service that you've given to us. So, uh, Man, as we were singing through uh, the song uh, prior to preaching, uh, the words uh, just have kind of jumped out me as we prepare to uh, jump into Romans chapter 5, uh, the lyrics that we just sang that... Uh, should the oceans be filled with ink and the sky parchment stretch and every tree and stalk on earth become a quill and all of us become scribes by trade, even still we would drain the ocean of its ink and not even begin to scratch the surface that the love of God has for us and the magnificence that Christ is. And so uh, I, I feel the weight of that song uh, in multiple ways. One, the joy of, of singing and reflecting on that truth, but also... Uh, the realization that uh, this passage in Romans 5 in many ways is Paul's attempt to revel in what Christ has done for us. And so whereas uh, we have an eternity of words that couldn't even begin to scratch the surface, I only have about 35 minutes to try to uh, convey some of this truth. So, uh, so with that said, I, I want to jump into this quickly. And uh, so if you will bow with me in prayer, we'll get started this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we lift high your name. We we acknowledge that you are glorious, Lord, you are good. It is our joy to gather in your name this morning. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we, we lift high the name of Jesus. We pray that in everything that we have done thus far this morning and what we will do afterwards, Lord, that it would, it would achieve the goal of, of lifting high the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, for the the saints in this room who have gathered here after a week of weary labor in a sin-sick world, I pray that you would, um, like a balm for their soul, that the gospel would restore in them the joy of their salvation, Lord, that you would draw them near to you and to each other, Lord. If there's anyone who is joining us today by your grace that does not know you, I pray that the, the message of the gospel would would be as sweet as honey to their lips, Lord. I pray that uh, the name of Jesus would resonate deeply in our hearts as we move forward from this place, both to those who are near and those who are far off, that uh, the blood of Christ would be sweet and that we would draw near in worshiping you. Lord, equip me in this time. May your spirit do a work with your word. Uh, we thank you for the realization that uh, you will complete the work and that your word does not return void. So we trust you to build up your church during this time, Lord, and to magnify your name. Pray that you would do that through this time. At your name I pray. Amen. What are you tempted to boast in? When you are at your most vulnerable point, when your inadequacy and your sins have been laid bare for all to see, what is it that you find yourself most tempted to reach for for comfort? Do you reach for your works? Do you point to the accomplishments that you've made? Do you find validation in the bank account that you've accrued? Is your soul at rest when your sin is exposed by appealing to your virtuous deeds, to your charitable acts, to titles and affiliations you've garnered? Are any of these able to silence your conscience when your sin-covered soul cries out? Friends, as we've been making our way through the book of Romans, we've been forced to reckon with reality that any attempt that we have made to justify ourselves before a holy God 
are utterly and completely bankrupt. We've been reminded of this reality that our sin before God is not kind of a a cheeky slap on the wrist or kind of chuckle and say, don't do that again. But our offense before God is cosmic in nature and abhorrent in content. Friends, the God of the universe who has designed and created an order in which we might glorify him for his glory and our good, we have rebelled against this. That which he has called evil, we have embraced as good and celebrated others for doing so. That which he has called good, we have cast aside calling it evil. We are in cosmic rebellion and thus justly deserving his wrath. So I ask you today, when you stand before the throne of our benevolent and cosmic ruler, what would you cling to to hold up and offer as a defense for yourself? For the Christians here today, we recognize that we do not put our trust, our, our boast, our rejoicing in such fickle things as our works or our actions, but we hold up Christ crucified as the only boast and only hope we hold. In our passage today, Paul is going to be reveling in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. He uses this word rejoice three times. Rejoice carrying it with this connotation of not only being happy, but almost a a boasting quality to it. What do we point to as our validation? What do we point to as our hope? What makes us enough and worthy? And Paul says, it's not your works, but it's what Christ has done on your behalf. So this is the joyful task we had ahead of us today. I really appreciate you guys being here close to lunchtime. Kids especially, thank you so much for coming with your parents today and your families. It's so good to see you. Um, As we are opening up our text today, I want you to to consider this. As your parents are talking to you about the sermon afterwards and asking you questions, you can tell them this. uh, Whenever they ask you what was the sermon about today, you can say this, that we do not celebrate in what we can do but we celebrate in what Christ has done, okay? So we don't celebrate in what we can do, but we celebrate in what Christ has done. And friends, this is what we're going to be doing today. As we notice in our text today, we're going to see Paul calling us to rejoice in the hope of glory that we have in God through Jesus Christ. We're going to be called to rejoice in our suffering. And then finally, we're going to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has reconciled us to himself. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Without any delay, let's jump into the text and read verses 1 through 3 as we see our hope in the glory of God. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So over the last several weeks, we've been reminded at the end of Romans 3 that there is a righteousness available to us before God that is found outside of ourselves, not as something we've earned, but as a gift that Christ has given to us. And over the last several weeks through Romans 4, we have been reminded emphatically that this righteousness is not obtained by our works, but through faith. It's a gift to us through faith. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so transitioning from this, Paul begins in Romans 5 
through Romans 8, uh, just to speak candidly, probably one of my favorite stretches in all of Scripture. If there's any place in the Bible that I could find myself living for the rest of eternity, it would be Romans 5 through 8. Such glorious truths of the gospel being unpacked here. And so we're going to see Paul begin this process of absolutely celebrating what Christ has done. We see he begins in verse 1 by saying, Since we have been justified by faith, This is what has been accomplished on our behalf. And he begins by pointing us to this reality. First off, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like it would be easy for us to skim kind of quickly through that. Peace is a word that we use commonly. It's probably a word that we feel like we have a good grasp upon. But I want to take a moment and not miss the weight of this. For you see, I fear in our current culture and context, the word peace that we use might have a different meaning than what Paul is meaning in this passage. Likely for most of us, when we think of the idea of peace, we possibly kind of boil it down simply to a lack of conflict. Oftentimes in our lives, we find ourselves settling for a fairly empty version of peace. We settle for arguments and ideas kind of like, well, we're going to agree to disagree. Peace in our current context means, you know what, we're just going to live and let live. And while those aren't necessarily abhorrent at their face value, when we take them and we look at them with any kind of depth, we're forced to admit that they are rather empty in terms of anything of significance. That kind of peace, that kind of idea that we take the lowest common denominator realizing that we have disagreements and strife and anger and conflict in all these areas, but we find the one thing that we can maybe slightly agree on and choose to just kind of look at that while ignoring the rest of it, this is not the peace that's being talked about here. Where you see throughout the scriptures, whenever we see this word peace, we see it attached to this idea, this word shalom. And this idea of peace is not a kind of insubstantial peace where we agree to disagree, but this is a peace that is characterized by absolute justice and righteousness, a peace that is characterized by a wholeness and a restorative fullness. And friends, this is the peace that's been offered to you in Jesus Christ with God. It's not a trivial, insubstantial thing. It's not as though God has said, You know, I know you're a train wreck in all of these other areas, but I'm going to look at the one thing about you that might be slightly tolerable and kind of turn my head and ignore the rest. That's not the kind of peace we have before God. There's no such thing as an empty peace with God, because as we've seen, he is a just and righteous judge. He does not ignore sin or wink at it or just pretend it didn't exist for the sake of trying to get along, but God will rightly and justly punish all sin. So this peace that has been offered to us through Jesus Christ is not a peace that is devoid of substance, but one that has been purchased through his blood. On the cross, when Christ laid down his life, he took upon himself the wrath of God, and he transferred to you his righteousness. So this peace that has been offered to you is not a a faux peace in which God pretends that you are Righteous in this area and ignores the rest. But you, when God sees you, sees the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is a peace that is full and whole. It's not trite or empty. Notice we see that this peace is available to us. We also notice that this peace extends beyond that. Not only do we have peace, but we have access by faith to this grace in which we stand. There's a permanence to this. And because of that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
few weeks ago as we were going through Romans 3, perhaps many of us, uh, Romans 3.23 is a verse that we have committed to memory. It's one we've known for a long time. In fact, probably if I ask you to, many of you guys could shout it out. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think about the reality of what's being stated here by Paul. He's just told us that our sin is so egregious, our rebellion before a holy God is so wicked, that we fall immeasurably short of his glory. We have no hope of access to this God. Jonathan Edwards, commenting on this, once said that uh, whenever we boast in our works and try to stack up our works in comparison to other people, we become like worms bragging about who has the taller dunghill. This is how far short of God's glory we stand. And yet what we see is because of what Christ has done for us. He has breached the gap on our behalf. Not only has he forgiven us of our sin and brought us into this peace with God, but he has also given us access to this grace. He has brought us near to this glorious God of whom we had no access to before. If we consider the imagery throughout the Old Testament, we're struck by this reality that once a year, the high priest would go into a place in the temple known as the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was promised to dwell. And as we read through and observe what was required of the priest to enter in on this moment, we're struck by the reality of how sinful we really are. The high priest would have to cleanse himself multiple times ritualistically. He would have to write things put on proper clothing and wardrobe and prepare himself to enter into God's presence. If at any point he made a mistake in the process, he had to start all over, burn the garments, burn the pins he used, and begin again. And we see this kind of preparation and delicacy just to be granted grace and access to this presence of God, even for a brief moment. And yet what we see is in Jesus Christ, all of us, all of those who are here in Christ have been granted free access to God and his glorious grace. Don't miss the weight of this church. Not only do we have access to it as a peak, as a passerby or someone who can kind of see it, but we have been given grace in it and we have permanence. We find ourselves standing within it. And friends, this is what Christ has done on your behalf. So I charge you today, church, cling to nothing else other than Christ. What else do we have to offer up as a peace treaty to cover up our vile sins? There is nothing of substance or weight that can redeem us and restore us to him. And so we cling to Christ alone. And friends, this fundamentally changes the way we view our life, not only as we hope and look to the glory that is to come for us, but also in the realization that this has bearing right here, right now. We see Paul addresses this in our next passage in verses 3 through 5. Let's read that together as we notice his call to rejoice in suffering. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us, who has given to us. I feel as though... Uh, in talking with many Christians, maybe I'm speaking for myself primarily, but oftentimes I see a genuine ability to see the promises of Scripture and trust that God is doing something, will be faithful to accomplish that which He's promised to do. When we talk about the Lord and the work that He's doing in our lives, 
we think of it as almost exclusively, primarily a future event. And yet what we see here is Paul has the audacity to tell us that not only are these hopes tangible for us in the future, but they're actually relevant to us right now. And not only are they relevant in the midst of our suffering, but even to say, especially in our suffering, God is doing something in us. Friends, hear me say this. This is not a, a weightless thing when I say these words. As your pastors, we have had the joy of walking with many of you through joyful times. We've also felt the sorrow and burden of walking with you through pain and suffering. It's not an ethereal, that's a tough word to say, it's not an ethereal and out there idea that we have no access to, but this is something that we've seen up close and personal. We are not a people who have been immune to suffering. Everything from pain in relationships to the loss of loved ones to health and sicknesses. We've seen the effects of pain and suffering in a sinful world. So Christian, it's not with any lightness or glibness that I say this, but with hope and trust that the Lord is true in this, that we have every reason not only to rejoice in what the Lord is going to do, but what the Lord is doing right now. And even in the midst of our suffering, we rejoice. Even in our suffering, we rejoice in what the Lord is doing. Because we see that this suffering is not chaotic and aimless. You find yourself suffering today, Christian. Your pain is not meaningless, but your pain is being used by God to do something glorious within you. This pain that you feel is not a wound that is slowly killing you and leading to your death, but is more of a pain that comes when you're in labor, about to give birth to something glorious. For you see, using suffering, God is up to something in us. We see this in Paul's words, that we rejoice in the suffering, knowing that it produces within us an endurance. Suffering trains us to look outside of our body and look outside of ourselves for hope and begin to look for and no longer trust the temporary, ethereal things that we once found to be satisfying. It trains us to look for something greater than ourselves. And as we develop this endurance, we see the Lord uses this to sanctify us and begins to sow within us godly character, a character that's no longer satisfied with sinful temporary pleasures, a character that no longer wants to live and wallow in sin, but a character that puts its hope in eternal things and permanent things and things that are honoring to the Lord. Friends, we see ultimately this causes us to shift our hope from the temporal, sinful things to worldly, less worldly, excuse me, eternal things. And in this, we have great hope and joy. Friends, don't miss this promise that is said here, that those who put their hope in Jesus Christ are not put to shame. Let's say this again. When you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you will never be put to shame. Perhaps many of you find yourself living in shame. Shame is a close confidant to you. Perhaps you found yourself putting your hope and trust in worldly relationships only to find deep hurt and pain. And you feel ashamed. Perhaps you've measured yourself as a parent based on your ability to 
have your kids do the right thing at all times and all places, and you find yourself experiencing the shame of having a child walking in disobedience and wayward. Maybe you've defined yourself based on your performances or the perception that other people have of you, perhaps a mistake at work, or maybe even taking a stand for Christ in the midst of others has caused people to lose esteem for you, and you feel ashamed. Maybe you're walking into this room today having fallen to sin or living in sin and you feel ashamed of yourself. In church and non-believer alike, it's my joy to proclaim to you today, I pray these words fall on you like a fresh spring in the desert that those who put their hope in Jesus Christ are never put to shame. For you see, your neediness and your weakness is not a sign that proves that you are a fraud or that you're fraudulent, but your neediness is actually a symbol and a good sign that you need a Savior. Christian, your suffering does not reveal that you are a fraud and who has been rejected by God, but it conditions you to look outside of yourself for hope and to look to the one who can actually give it to you in abundance, Jesus Christ. For we see Paul reminds us here that the Holy Spirit has poured out God's love onto us. God's love for you is not a hedged bet. It is not like a fourth grader who has their Valentine's Day card to give to their crush and they want to be as secret as possible as they sneak up and drop it on the desk and run off. God has dumped his love out on you. He's gone all in. God's love for you is not based on any false pretense. You don't have to live in fear wondering what might happen if I prove myself to be a fraud because we see that God has not shown his love for you based on any false notion. But Paul doubles down and emphasizes in verse 6 and 8 that God has embraced you at your ugliest. Let's read this together. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we think about worldly wisdom, it's a bad business to invest in poor investment opportunities, right? We want some kind of a symbol that uh, our buy-in is going to pay out something positively to us, that we know that we have something in someone that's showing us that they're worthy of our investment. Yet what we see here is that God has not shown his love based on false pretenses. He has not stumbled past you and just happened to see you on your best possible day and said, okay, this is someone that maybe I can work with. But no, it was in your weakness. It was while you were still dead in your sin that Jesus Christ came and laid down his life on your behalf. It was not your strength that attracted the Lord to you. It was your need for a Savior that initiated this. And so, friends, today I charge you, embrace your suffering and your weakness. Recognize that God's love for you is not poured out on any false notion that there is something in you that was drawing him to yourself. Rather, the opposite was true. You were doing everything in your sin and rebellion to push him away, and yet Christ came anyway. And you're secure today, Christian. You see, this is the beauty of the gospel. Your hope is not based on something that you forged by your own hands or as a temporary provision for you to try to earn. 
But what we see is that Christ came knowing the extent of your sin and wickedness and chose to die in your stead. So friends, this is why we rejoice not in our own ability. This is why we even dare to rejoice in our suffering and our weakness because it is here that we realize that we have great need and that Jesus has much to give. Finally, let's notice the call to rejoice in God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the reconciliation that he's brought to us. Let's read that together. Verses 9 through 11 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So as Paul is crescendoing this rejoicing, this boasting, this reveling in what Christ has done, we see that he has called us to look to Christ in the future, the hope that we have before us. We see that he has called us to rejoice now, even in the midst of our present suffering in what the Lord is doing. And finally, we see he makes his appeal. Christian, for us to have confidence in what the Lord is doing, now and in the future. We need not look anywhere other than in the past and seeing what Christ has done for us on the cross. For you see, Paul reminds us in these words, notice again in verse 9, it says that we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He also goes on to say, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. You see what Paul's doing here. He's appealing to this reality. He's reminding us that we have hope and confidence in what Christ has promised to do in the future because he has already accomplished it for us in the past. Jesus has already done the more difficult thing in the past. We see Christ has already spilled his blood on your behalf on the cross. He has already Endure the wrath of God. How much more, having already done that on your behalf, will he promise to save you on the last day? Christ has already drawn you near when you were his enemy, someone who hated, God's and the thing, hated God and the things he loves, and now he has brought you close as a son and daughter, adopted into the faith. How much more will he deliver us on the last day if he has already done the more difficult thing, Christian? Maybe some of you are like me. I fear I have a, a little bit of a bizarre phobia where every time I go to a sporting event or prepare to get on an airplane, I have this fear start to grow in me as I get in line and I'm holding my ticket. And the closer I get to the ticket taker, the more I kind of start wrestling with this idea. What if when I get to the person and I hand them the ticket and they scan it and they say, I'm sorry, sir, but you are deceived and under false pretenses. This ticket is no good here, and you're not allowed to come in. Bit of a weird fear. But I'm afraid for many of us, we live our lives like this towards the Lord. You have the ticket. You have the promises of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. He's already purchased it for you. And yet you live in a fear of somehow, some way that at the end of your life, at the end of the age, you're going to come forward before the Lord 
only to find out that you were a fraud this whole time, that the ticket was no good. And yet I remind you today that your justification is not a conditional provision. This is not something that was based on a feeling or a a promise in the moment that was kind of empty, more based on kind of platitudes and emotions, but this was an ironclad moment. Christ spilled out his blood on the cross with your name in mind. So if you are justified in Christ and you cling to him by faith, you have full assurance that all the promises of God, past, present, and future, are yours today. Charles Spurgeon has famously said, that in the case of the Christian, the saint who currently stands in the presence of the Lord, justified before him, is no more justified than you, the saints of Christ in this room. You just have a different location for now. So Christian, cling to this hope today that your salvation has been secured in Christ. Friends, this is why we offer nothing but Christ crucified as the hope for glory, for we rejoice in him alone and not our own ability because Christ, you see, is the one who has secured our salvation. He has moved on our behalf to reconcile us to God. We were once his enemies, yet he has brought us peace. We were once far off, and yet he has given us access to this grace. We were once his enemies, and yet he has now brought us near We once loved the things of this world, the things of sin, and yet now he has changed our appetite and given us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so today, we walk in full confidence that even in the midst of our sufferings, in our present hardships and pains, we have full joy and rejoicing in the fact that Christ Jesus is doing something on our behalf, and he's already done something on our behalf, and he will do what he has promised to do on our behalf. So we rejoice in him alone. It's in light of these things I want to offer up three quick pastoral charges as we move to time to close. The first one is this. I I beg you to, to embrace this Christian. Know that your salvation is secure in Christ alone. Your salvation is not a temporary agreement. It's not a trial run. But it was forged in an eternity past within the counsel of God and it was purchased for you on the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have cried out in faith to Jesus Christ, you have confidence that you will be saved. You're secure today, Christian. So live like this. Live in light of this reality that these hope that you have in this life and the life to come are secure. And it's with this reality in mind that I can say this even with with fear and trembling, knowing that many of you find yourself suffering today to lean into this suffering. Let suffering accomplish what it has been promised to do. I say that not to trivialize the pain that you feel or the heartache and the hardship that you've endured, but to remind you that there's something better. And even in the midst of this pain, it's God's grace to train you within it, to build within you an endurance, letting that endurance build within you godly character and changing your appetite from sinful things and things of this world and giving you and changing your hope to put it into what Christ has done and not what this world can offer. So Christian, embrace your suffering. Lean into what the Lord is doing. And finally, to the believer and non-believer alike, I call you to put your hope in Jesus today. 
There are many philosophies, ideas, groups, ideologies floating for you in the world, and many disciples who would ask you to join them in partaking in it. Candidly, I would say to you that when you reach for these temporal things, for these things that the Lord has called sin, when you rely on these things to try to bolster you up, what you'll find is in your darkest moment, you'll realize that none of these measure up to quiet your sin-stained soul. None of these measure up to give you the hope and deliverance you need. And yet, if you put your hope in Christ today, you will never be put to shame. I say this to you in full confidence that if you cry out to Jesus Christ today, you will not be put to shame in this life or in the life to come. So I beg you, cry out to his name today. To the Christians in the room, remain in him. Cling to nothing other than Christ crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of the lavished gift of grace we have poured out on us through Jesus Christ. We recognize that it was not our feeble attempts of righteousness, it was not our acts that drew you to us, but it was in our very state of weakness that we you found us and you had concern upon us and that you sent your son to die on our behalf. So Lord, we, we magnify the name of Jesus. We pray that he would be our only boast and our only rejoicing, that we would rejoice in no other thing, that we put our trust and our hope in no other thing than Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I ask that you would give us joy in him even in this life as we find ourselves enduring suffering and pain that comes from living in a sin-sick world, I pray that it would chasten us and it would cause our hearts to look to Christ. I would pray that you would accomplish your purpose even in suffering as you develop within us godliness and that you build within us a hope that is outside of this temporal life and a hope that is rooted in the things to come. We lift high your name. We pray that you would help us to dwell on these realities and that it would move in us even as we go forward from this place. In your name I pray, amen. Well, every week at Emmaus, we end the same way, and uh, it's appropriate and fitting after having proclaimed the gospel through our songs and, and seen the gospel proclaimed through the scriptures that we ourselves would then declare Christ ourselves. And that's what we have the joy of doing every week when we come to the table for communion. We're reminded in scripture that as often as we eat this bread and drink this juice, that we proclaim Christ's death and resurrection until the day he returns. So Christian, as you prepare to come forward, I, I ask you, take that posture. As one who is declaring what Christ has done on your behalf in this moment, you're declaring it to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and I, I charge you to continue doing so as you walk from this place, declaring the riches of grace that are ours in Jesus Christ through our words and our lives. Uh, if you're a non-believer with us today, I know this is maybe a bit awkward to ask you to ignore social constraints and uh, have you stay seated while the rest of us get up and do something, but I promise you we're not going to target you or uh, judge you for remaining seated. In fact, we, we would ask you to do so because this action is not an action that would have meaning for you. If you have not declared Christ as your Savior, then uh, this act would be an empty act to do so. And so rather, I ask that perhaps you instead look at these men and women 
coming forward, uh, men and women from all walks of life. Many of us maybe have very few things in common outside of, of the reality that we have put our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather together under his banner and under his name. That's why we love each other. And uh, that's why we cling to get Christ together. So uh, I would challenge you, if you're a non-believer, even consider if you have questions uh, to ask one of these men and women as they come forward and declare Christ the risen Savior. Uh, consider asking them uh, about how, they have, uh, how Christ has worked in their life. Uh, so Emmaus, I love you guys. Uh, as always, we're going to have you stand up. Come to this side of the aisle, uh, one row at a time, and then come forward. Get your bread and juice will be handed to you. And uh, let's come forward and celebrate that we have peace with God. We have permanence and hope. And this is given to us through Jesus Christ. So let's come and declare and celebrate that together. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.